0: Welcome to Church From Me Too. My name is John and I'm part of the team and I dropped my stick. Hey, it's good to be here. We're in a sermon series looking at the uh, signs, the miracles that Jesus performed that, that John records in his gospel account. And we, we come to a very well-known miracle, a sign that that Jesus performed showing who he was. And this is a sign of Jesus walking on the water. And I've preached on this sign a number of times, but this morning I want to take a different tact to looking at this event that helped his followers understand that he was always with them. Because friends, that's the take home that I would like for us to go home with. God is always with us in Jesus and Jesus helps us go through storms in life. We have a growth group book that we prepare to go along with our sermon series. You can get a copy from the Connection Centre if you don't have one, but if you do, please go through the questions that we're asking for this week's message because it will help us gird our faith. So let me take us into the the story, the account of Jesus walking on the water. And I'm reading from John's Gospel, chapter 6. It'll be on the screen. And we start at verse 16 and we read, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples and that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So far. In our lives we all face storms, don't we? Storms. Illness. (coughs) Handicap. Special needs. Children? Imagine. Boy, girl, in love, grow up, get married. Have desire to have children, and the children have special needs. That's a storm. That's reality. Relational, relationship storms, financial storms, depression, storms. We face storms in life. And some of these storms that we face in life, they are wild, they are crazy and they come so unexpectedly. And as many of us know, they can test our faith the point of losing our faith. Often when we are in storms, we forget to look in life's rear-view mirror. What do I mean by that? Looking into our rear-view mirror means we think back to other storms to past storms that we have had in life, challenges that we've had to go through, and then we realize that God was with us the whole way through those storms. We look in our rear view mirror. And that's one of the lessons that this fifth sign John records of Jesus performing miracles is going to teach us today. Now the context, we need to understand the context. Remember last Sunday, Adam preached about Jesus feeding the crowd with five loaves and two fish, fish burgers, remember? Miraculously, from just that small amount of food, Jesus said 5,000 men plus women plus children. We are told, have a look at the screen please, when we look back to that week, when they had all had enough to eat, all of these people who were listening to Jesus, when they all had all had their fill, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they said that They began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So Jesus had performed this miracle. Now, we're, we're today, we get to tomorrow, right? We're now looking at what happened the next day. But come back to yesterday, here Jesus fed these people and he knew that they wanted to make him king by force, so he left. And he sent his disciples off. And in both Matthew's account and Mark's account, they are the other disciples who wrote biographies of Jesus' life, they record this event, and and we read in one of their accounts that it was Jesus who told his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a lake. If you have a look at the screen, there's a map of the Sea of Galilee. This is the lake that they crossed over. Now, it's interesting to note that this lake is well below sea level. And the winds, warm winds, would come up over the mountains down into this valley where this big Sea of Galilee is, and it would cause really rough weather. Warm winds would cause this stirring of the water. So Storms on the Sea of Galilee was a common thing to have happen. We're going to learn an important rear-view mirror truth about this. Realise that Jesus sent the disciples by boat, knowing full well what was going to happen. In John six seventeen, we read, By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Have you ever been in a boat, an open boat, at night when it got really rough, water? I grew up on the water. My dad was a keen boatsman living in Tasmania. We always went on holidays. And I've been in a small boat when it was dark, night time, and it got really rough and we lost our way. It is scary. It is scary. It is a frightening experience. And the next verse here in our text tells us that these guys, many of them experienced fishermen, they were frightened. They were scared spitless, friends. This is not just a little storm. This is something that really wrecked them. They wondered what is going to happen. And when you and I and they are in the eye of a storm, we know that very often the emotional calm that we love to think we're in control of, the the, the reasoning that we we think we're able to maintain so easily evaporates when we're in the eye of a storm and panic seems to set in. I've wondered about these disciples in the boat in this experience and I've wondered if they encouraged each other to have faith that that Jesus' power would somehow make sure that they were safe. After all, this isn't their first storm experience that we read about in Scripture. Matthew, Mark and Luke's account of Jesus' life all record the event which in Matthew reads this way, that Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Right? This is a different time. Suddenly, verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went to him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Now friends, to say that to someone like Jesus, you, it means that you were scared. Verse twenty six. Jesus replied, "You have little faith. Why are you so afraid?" Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Then the men, sorry, uh, sorry, the men were amazed and asked, "What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him." So they had that experience in the boat. They have already experienced four other miracles that John records that Jesus performed, showing his power, and now they're in this boat going across the Sea of Galilee and they are scared because the storm has whipped up again. Now, we might be a bit charitable and say, yeah, but this time, you know, Jesus isn't actually with them in the boat. But remember, friends, Jesus told them to get into the boat to go ahead. They were doing what he said. But they're in this now life-threatening storm, according to what they think. Which makes me ask the question about myself, and I want you to ask this question. How often haven't we found ourselves in frightening storms despite believing that we are living as God calls us to. We do the right thing and we get in big trouble and it causes a storm. Why didn't the disciples look in their rear view mirror at the experiences they had that showed the power of God? Why didn't the disciples say to each other, hey guys, let's trust Let's remember how powerful Jesus is. He knows we're in the boat. We must believe in him. We must believe in his power. And not only that, but these guys are Jews. These guys knew their Old Testament scriptures. They knew what was foretold about God's faithfulness. During the week, I did a really quick search, Old Testament search, of times that God said to his followers, never will I leave you, I will not forsake you, I am faithful, I will be with you. And without even trying, nine hits I got when I did a search on that. So when I think about these guys in the boat, Jesus' disciples, that he chose, I'm encouraged because I think they were just normal, fallible believers like me and you. And we read, When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, what do you think the the disciples learnt from this experience? More importantly, what can you and I learn about this experience? I want to mention three things. Three things that become very, very clear when we compare each of the Gospel writers' accounts of this particular event. And the first thing I want to clarify for us is that Jesus was watching. Jesus sees the storms that we're in. Jesus knew what these guys were going through. And why am I so confident about being able to say that? Well, in Mark's account, he tells us that Jesus, who was up on the mountain praying, he saw them. Look at this, Mark six forty-eight. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. Now, I want us to remember that this event took place at the time of the Passover. We know that from last week because Jesus had come to Jerusalem for a feast, for a religious feast. Passover time is always held when there's a full moon. Now, you've been to the beach or to the lake when it's a full moon and it's still in the middle of the night and the, and the moon is shining and it reflects off the water and you can see for, for ages And not only that, the storm was a wind storm, not a rain storm. See, a rain storm, that that blurs our vision. We can't see through rain. But a wind storm, Jesus could see what was happening. These guys were in trouble. Jesus saw that. Jesus was watching. So now think about your storms in life that you go through. Even those really awful ones. Look in your rearview mirror. Have they taught you that Jesus is, is watching you, that he knows your circumstances? We all have to row in tough weather sometimes in this world that we're living in. Yet God's promise, God's promise repeated all through scripture is that he is with us. Theologians call this the imminence of God, meaning simply that God is here. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. Let's think Old Testament for a minute, way back to when Adam and Eve sinned and hid from God. Do you think that God was saying, oh, I've lost them? He knew where they were. Think of Old Testament David. Now, he was a mega sinner. He did some bad things. He tried to flee from God because he realised how sinful he was. And when he realised he couldn't flee from God's everywhere presence, he penned these words in Psalm 139 that says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Think of Solomon. Think of the Old Testament prophets. All telling about God's everywhere presence. Too many to mention. Let me use the words of James Montgomery Boyce to summarise my point. If it is true that God is not far from anyone, that he sees what we go, uh, sorry, that he sees what we do and knows all about us, how much more true it is that Jesus sees his own followers and knows what they are facing in all their circumstances? He has told us that not a sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge, and that the hairs of our head are all numbered. He said, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Do you realise that he is with you? Do you sense that his eye is upon you as it was upon the disciples? Friends, that's the first take home that we, that we can see here in this, in this sign of Jesus walking on the water caring for his disciples. It is that Jesus was watching. Jesus was watching his disciples and Jesus is watching us. And the second thing is that Jesus helps. Jesus helps. Jesus helps us go through our life's storms, especially those frightening storms threatening our faith. One of my favourite scriptures that I lean on heavily is this one, Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Do you see that little three-letter word that I've underlined? All. Do you think that includes tragic storms? Storms where the outcome is bankruptcy? Marriage breakdown storms? When we go through heartbreaking storms, we often don't realise the truth of this point, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Sadly, we often don't wait for his help. We, we, we don't listen for his voice. We, we don't heed his instruction. Listen to this verse again as I read it from the New Living Translation. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him. Now there's one guy who told a brilliant story to explain this, this second point. But Jesus helps and his name was Donald Barnhouse. Donald Barnhouse, well there's the dates that he lived, 1895 to 1960. He, he's well known in, in the preaching world because he was an amazing leader and preacher and he is remembered especially because of his pioneering work in radio preaching. He was a brilliant communicator. Donald collated many of the stories and the illustrations that he used over the years and put them into a book that's titled Let Me Illustrate. And one of the stories that he tells is of a man who owned an ice house, an ice house. Now before fridges were invented, there were bulk blocks of ice that were made and they were delivered to homes. Have a look at the photo. Now, it was usually only the more wealthy people that could afford frozen ice to help preserve their food. But he tells this story. And where these ice blocks were made, there was sawdust on the ground of these ice house factories. A bit like old butcher shops. Remember when the butchers used to have sawdust on the ground? Well, they did. Here's his story. I've got ants all over this jolly pulpit. I'm happy now. Let me tell you the story. The guy who owned the ice house had a very, very expensive watch. And one day he lost his fine watch in the sawdust. And many of his employees raked through the sawdust, looking for his watch. But no one could find it. Finally, when these guys had a break for lunch, a small boy went into the ice house and a few minutes later he came out with the watch. And the men asked him, how did you find it? And he replied, I just lay down in the sawdust and I listened. And after a while I heard the wristwatch ticking. And then Barnhouse would say to his listeners, some of you have lost more than a watch. If you will be very still and listen quietly the Lord will speak to you and show you just where you lost the power and victory which you so sorely miss. And friends, this reminds me of C.S. Lewis's quote, which you were now going to have said to you for the third time in this series, where C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, let me share something very personal and something that has been truly challenging for me to accept. Many of you know this. Many of you know that I'm retiring from formal ministry at the end of this month. I'm not leaving, I'm still going to be here, but I resign from the formal ministry responsibilities. Now, I did not plan to retire then or now. I'm only 61 and a half. And a half. (laughs) But it's been brought forward because of some health issues. And financially, I'm better off to keep working, to keep building my super. But this is what's happening And I'll tell you, accepting this over the last 18 months has caused me to have to row my boat very hard. But the Word of God says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? We have to believe that. Because when we believe that, we see that it is true and we are the victors. Like the disciples, you and I go through times of rowing into the wind as storms and squalls threaten to capsize our faith. But this miracle of Jesus reminds us, friends, it assures us that Jesus is watching, Jesus helps, but more importantly, Jesus brings us safely through. You see, this life is just a temporary life. There's something at the end of this life when Jesus returns. Eternity waits for us. Now in the story that we've read, let me just highlight the last few lines in in verses 19 and 21 where Jesus got into the boat and we read immediately the, the boat reached the shore where they were going. Jesus got the disciples safely to where they were going. You know, friends, in my case, my leaving in a formal ministry, the team, the team that I'm leaving here in charge of VPCC, the team that I've been a part of for so long, is more than capable to keep this, this ministry going in the right direction. So instead of looking at me, let's look at ourselves here. Look at yourself and say, what storm are you battling? As you face it. Do you keep your eye on the rear view mirror of your life? And can you see how in the past Jesus has come the journey with you? Let me remind us of what we read in Psalm 117. We read, praise the Lord, all you nations, exol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Do you know that that's the entire psalm? Psalm 117. It's only two verses long. So friends, let's let's take this psalm and tattoo it as a declaration of faith into our minds, into our hearts. Because all of us face frightening storms in life. This is a broken world that we are living in. And there are times that we cannot even see the way that we are headed. And like the disciples were in the boat, we too, we get frightened. We fear that we will capsize, that we will drown. So, through the context of this account where Jesus walked on the water and led his his disciples safely through their ordeal, right through this context, listen to what Jesus says to the crowd when he got to the other side of the lake. They asked him a question. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this – to believe in the one he has sent. That's not hard. It's a challenge, but it is to believe in the one he has sent. Now, to those of us who are believers, we, we, we accept this. We, we understand what this means. But I'm tipping there may be some here right now who are not quite sure what Jesus is saying, what what he means by this. You you may not know what it means to trust in Jesus and then receive the inner assurance and the peace that God gives, that he has you firmly in his hand. So, in three bite-sized chunks, three bite-sized chunks, to believe in the one he has sent means... One, to believe on the authority of God's word that you cannot save yourself spiritually. Friends, we are all spiritual bankrupts. Sure, we can do many things ourselves in life to improve our status. You can, you can gain praise, you can gain credit, credentials, big bank accounts, all to show your, your achievements. But your good works and all of those things, they will not satisfy God's requirement for us to get into his presence forever. You, like me, we are helpless, as helpless as the disciples were in the midst of the storm in their boat. We must believe on the authority of God's word that you cannot save yourself spiritually. Friends, this is God's truth that he gives to us. Secondly, you must believe that Jesus is able to do what you cannot do. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. You and I, we cannot satisfy God by means of our own good works or behaviour. It was the work that Jesus did that made us right with God. He's going to the cross, which we remember in two weeks. He's dying for our sin. And then he's rising from the dead, whereby he conquered the power of death and Satan and hell. So you must believe that Jesus is able to do what you cannot do. And thirdly, you must commit yourself to him. And this is where many of us will stumble because we think, I'm going to lose control. We don't lose control. We are to place ourselves into his hands. He becomes our Lord and leader. We've got to let him into our boat and let him take us safely through. So the question is, will we do these things? Will you do these things? If I'm speaking to to you and your chest is going boom, boom, boom because you've never really acknowledged that you're a spiritual bankrupt and that you need Jesus talk to one of the leaders of the church, talk to someone whom you trust and just open yourself up to the free gift of salvation where Jesus forgives you, adopts you and comes into your life by his spirit so that we can live a victorious life in this broken world. And for the rest of us who already believe that, let us commit ourselves afresh to living our lives according to these things. Because when we do that, friends, we are an aroma. We are the presence of Christ to those who don't know Christ yet. And it will give us an opportunity to invite people into the truth of the gospel, invite them to our services, invite them to our church, where they too might hear the life-changing truth that Jesus died for them. And... By placing our faith in him, we have new life. So, we go back into the world with our storms and challenges, but we go victoriously, knowing that Jesus is in control. He will see us safely through. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the record we have in your word of this account where your disciples who had actually witnessed you perform other miracles fear for their lives because they took their eyes off you. So I pray for every one of us as we go through the challenges and the storms that are ahead of us or that we're right in, may we keep our eyes fixed on you. May we keep our eyes fixed in the rear view mirror of your faithfulness and lead us to our eternal glory which is with you. So God, step by step, we choose to trust. We love you. We thank you for this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I want to invite you to stand as we sing in response to that message that we have heard this morning.